0: hi and welcome to the south central pa mom fireflies and whoopie pie podcast where we discuss motherhood local events and everything in between right here in south central pa so sit back grab a coffee a while and settle in for the show everyone. Welcome back to another episode. This week, we have Mariah Seeloff with Keller Williams of Central PA joining us. Mariah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So one thing that I thought would be really fun to talk about with you because you're a realtor, right? I am. How do you balance work and family life? Because I can imagine that's got to be, that's going to be hard in your job it
1: is especially as a realtor um the thing that's unique about my career is i am somewhat in control of my schedule but at the same time my clients kind of become like family to me while i'm working with them and so i have to find ways to fit my schedule around their schedules and be available to them when they need me and so it is different than just working a typical nine to five as a mom.
0: Yeah, but that it, well, and I'm sure it, it's not having a set schedule on the one hand, it's really convenient, but then on the other, you know, it's probably hard at the same time, but I think that it, like balancing work and family is something that a lot of moms can relate to.
1: Yeah, and um, something that has really helped me with this year, um, I looked back on my business over the past couple of years, and I went into this year just wanting to set goals, and it was interesting because we had this whole training at the office about goal setting, And when I was there, I realized that I was looking at all these successful agents around me, seeing their goals, seeing what they're doing. And I was just kind of running along next to them, not paying attention to my own life. And this year, I said, no, I can't look at their goals and base my goals around what they want for their life. Like I have to step back And realize that my goals are going to look different. And it's okay if I don't sell, you know, 25 homes in a year like the person next to me when my priorities are different. That person doesn't have five children at home. That person has time and, like, all they do is their work. And that's great. Um, So this year I actually reduced the amount of homes I want to sell in a year and um, you know, figured out how to make my budget work with that so that I could put my priorities back in line with like goals that really matter to me and my family, uh, which I think is so important to reflect on where you are yearly, monthly, sometimes even weekly to make sure you're going where you want to go. Sometimes we can just start running and we don't even realize we're running the wrong direction.
0: So what helped you as far as, you know, balancing those goals for your job as well as your goals for your family?
1: Yeah, so I sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and I said what is the most important thing for me in 5 or 10 years? And I want to be healthier, I've had a lot of health problems since I gave birth to my last son. And because I was working so much, I wasn't able to take care of myself the way I used to. And so seeing that and seeing that when my business was booming and at its best and I was doing, you know, million, um, over a million dollars in a month of real estate business, that's kind of when my family was struggling the most because I wasn't there for them. and so writing down like okay i want to be healthier i want to focus on my family and i want to be able to provide for my family so i do need to have this career and so i i looked at the big picture and then i kind of went backwards and i said how do i make all these things work together and um it was it was hard because i've been kind of on a real estate team for a while and i loved my team But I realized if I left the team, I would be able to keep a little bit more of my commission, which increases my income um, with doing slightly less work than I did last year. And that would buy me back some of my time. So I basically said, you know, and I I actually even made a post. There's this quote um, that says, I can always make another dollar, but I cannot make another day. And so I said, how can I make my money go further so that I can buy back my time? I believe true wealth comes in freedom with your time. And so I might have been making more money, but I didn't feel wealthy because other areas were being sacrificed. So this year I'm focused more on what's important and prioritizing my family and prioritizing my health and then looking at what was realistic business-wise and with 14 if I help 14 families that will pay my bills that will help me do the things I need to do for my health and it will also give me back some of that balance that I was missing so then I had to reach out to clients of mine and basically say hey If you would like to have me work with you this year, let me know kind of what month you're thinking so that I can get you on my schedule and just be up front with people that, you know, I might be able to do more than that 14. But that truly is my goal to get 14 this year and to get some new systems in place. And um, I'm kind of rebranding right now. So that's going to take a little bit of my time and energy. And then hopefully by next year, I'll be able to up that number um, to do a few more than 14. But it's it's just nice to be able to reach out to people and say, hey, what month are you planning to do something? Let me get you in your books. And then when I stepped back and saw my complete year, I could see, okay, like this month's going to be a busy month. This month will be a slow month. I can do a family vacation in this slow month. And I can prepare my family better for the busy months instead of just letting my business kind of dictate my life. Now I'm building my life and my business together. And it's actually very harmonious.
0: (laughs) That, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, making sure to build things together instead of, you know, whether it's like, you know, focusing on your kids too much or your job or whatever, I, I feel like moms can really easily get pulled into this trap of like, I have to put everything in this one basket, you know, like my life is revolving on my kids yeah. or my life is revolving around my work. And, and then you kind of get lost.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and that's one of the things I love about the goals I set. My goals are very specific like getting healthy that's for me. And so I have been going um to M studios where they have hip hop fitness classes and stuff like that. I danced when I was in elementary and high school. And it was hilarious cuz the one night I was there and they have a heels class which is something so outside of my comfort zone. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try the beginner of every class this week. And I was doing these moves and I was really like surprised that I was able to do some things. But then I go into this one move and you're like supposed to slide down onto the floor. And I just, my body just stopped working. Instead of sliding down all pretty, I like fell flat on on my face (laughs) in front of all these people. And I, the worst part is the next move you like get back up and I could not get back up. So I was just on the ground everybody's back up. And I'm like, it stopped working. Like, I don't know why it stopped. And I couldn't figure out what went wrong with my body, but it was hilarious. And I love that because I found this new, like freedom um, to just be okay in my own skin and to like understand the big picture of my life. I guess I don't even know. I feel so much more free to just be myself. And, um, to land flat on my face in a dance class, but know that I'm doing something that is outside my comfort zone and hard, but it feels like me and it's going to be more me, um, the more time I put into it. So, you know, I have that. And then I have restructuring my business to be with my family. And, um, it is, it's too easy to get hyper-focused in one aspect of life and if we can somehow find a way to let those things live together and not lose ourselves that's when I feel like the world almost opens up to us and opportunities come our way because we're just we're taking it day by day
0: and so, another thing that, you know, I was thinking about is that, like, being a realtor and with this, you know, kind of unpredictable schedule and stuff, you must have like some good tips, right? On like balancing, you know, your role as a mom and your role as a, a working mother. Like, what, what yeah. kind of things help you, um,
1: kind yeah. of keep those um, two
0: things going smoothly?
1: I think the key for me is empowering my children, um, helping them become more responsible for things that they can. I used to be a micromanager of my children and kind of a helicopter mom um, that did everything for them. And that was back when I was a stay-at-home mom. That doesn't work when you're working. Um, As a working mom... It's actually very healthy and great for my children, but it's sad for me because I love mothering them. Like I love doing everything for them, but it's not exactly the best thing to do everything for your children. So for instance, my oldest daughter, she often will help make breakfast for the other children. Um, My nine-year-old will sometimes make me coffee while I'm getting ready for my day my six-year-old is responsible for um picking up his room and which the other kids are responsible for too. But he what's something unique for him? Oh, he's a dancer. And so I have made it his responsibility to make sure he has what he needs, depending on the classes he has that night. So when we're leaving, if he forgets his shoes, um Before I used to say, oh, I got to go get those. I got to fix this for him. Now I'm like, well, that was your responsibility. And he's only six, but he's learning. He's learning that he needs to remember these things because mommy has five children and a career and I can't remember everything for everyone all the time. I used to put that on myself. And now I see my children almost thriving more since I have given them those responsibilities like you guys have to know your schedule you have to get ready when you need to be ready the other day I had a um appointment after I was supposed to drop my daughter off for her acro class and typically I would have ran around made sure she had everything she needed she was it was a long morning of telling her to get ready for hours and finally I said sweetie I have told you for the past two hours to be ready. You're still not ready. I have an appointment. You're going to miss acro class today. And she was absolutely devastated. But it was setting that boundary, even with my children, that my time's important like your time's important. I will get you where you need to go, but you need to respect where I need to be as well sometimes. And I have never put that boundary in place with them before. and. In that moment, I saw something in her where she's like, oh, I did this to myself. And she kind of realized and took responsibility for spending two hours not getting ready instead of me being the bad guy. She was able to understand like, oh, my mom tried to get me there and I didn't do what
0: I needed to do. And I've noticed. Well, okay. So full disclosure: Mariah was <laughs> our realtor <laughs> uh-huh. earlier this year. She helped us buy a house, and she was fantastic. It um, was amazing. I loved helping your family. <laughs> um, you brought your some of your kids with you, like sometimes when we were, you know, looking at showings and stuff. And um, how do they feel about stuff like that? My they kids think love fun? it.
1: They love it. Um, it takes me back to when my mom used to sell DK books. She sold Dorling Kinzerly Dorling books. I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, but I remember going with her and learning so much about business by just watching her um, present the books. And I was like her little Vanna White holding up the books and watching her, you know, do these transactions with people. And when I first was doing my real estate, I really tried to keep my kids away from it cuz I didn't think it looked professional. Um however, I learned that the people I want to surround myself with and the type of clients, I make them like family to me and I treat them like family. I work extremely hard for them. I sacrifice a lot of time for them. And so the people I typically work with end up being okay with it. Um, And if it's offensive to them, then they're probably not my people and that's okay. There's lots of other realtors out there for them, but I love that in a bind with my career, I can bring a child along not every career has that. And so there's a lot of sacrifices with my real estate career. And there's a lot of things I give up. I miss some of my kids' activities once in a while because especially in this last market, you had to go the day a home was listed to get it. And if it was the right house for my client, you bet I was missing something for my kids that day because it was so hard um, to find like inventory was just so low it's so hard to find the right house and so i made a lot of sacrifices in that season with my family and uh i feel like it's it's sometimes a two-way street and that's okay it's okay to have to have a little bit of give and take in this relationship with my clients and if somebody doesn't like it then there's lots of other realtors and i'm okay with that but i i do offer a lot of value for the ones that
0: choose to use me. (laughs) And you're, so what is, like, how do they feel about those kinds of things? Like when you're not able to be at your children, like when you're not able to be at, you know, a recital or something, or when it's like, oh, hey, you know, mom has to go look at a house and were they're they're tagging along with you like are they generally pretty understanding or is it like oh my gosh not again <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it depends on the day and which child typically my children are very understanding because I have made it a point to be at everything I possibly can I'm one of those moms I volunteer in the PTOs I go to field trips I um find every minute I can to be with them so that whenever something does come up and I do miss something, I say, Hey guys, we have all these opportunities because of the work I do. Um, I'm kind of the main breadwinner in our home. So because of that, they, they know that, okay, If I want to continue being in recitals and being in dance, then sometimes mom has to miss a little something here or there so that I can continue to do everything I do. And um, honestly, my children love, love their activities so much. I know some kids are forced into their activities, but I always have tried to find what Brings my kids alive and what they love, and um find every opportunity to kind of propel them into something that's natural that they enjoy. And I've never forced them into activities. So because of that, it empowers them and also benefits me because I can just look at my daughter and say, Hey, do you want?' To stay in all these dance lessons you're in? Because she's in a lot of dance. She's right now going seven days a week. So it's a lot. And it's a lot of money to do that. And she's like, I love dance. It's my life. I was like, okay, well, I have to pay for dance. It's not a free thing. And so they understand that there's things that they love to do. And this kind of fuels that. And they love when they get to come along with me. The couple times I bring them with me, they think it's so fun. My one daughter, as you saw, will walk around and try to give the homeowners all the ideas of what they can do with the the house. I was
0: about to say, it was the cutest thing
1: ever. It's adorable because it's just, she's my little designer. She has been a designer since the day she was two. She rearranges my house all the time and we fight about it because I put my decorations where I want my decorations and she moves them all the time, like all the time. And she puts on dance shows and she feels like she needs to put all these candles in the room and set the mood. So that is her thing. And whenever she goes with me, I love it. My older daughter, whenever she comes along, she's completely different. She's not the designer. She's the architect. And she's like, you could take down this wall, and you could do this. And it's hilarious to just see how each kid brings their personalities into the showings. Um, I typically only bring my older two because they're, you know, they're just better behaved when we have to do that. But it's interesting to see their personalities come alive in that environment. And I think realtors are a lot like that too. And that's why it's important to find a realtor that resonates with you and your personality that you can work well with. Because some realtors go in and they like see all these things you can do. Other realtors go in and they're pointing out flaws with the home. And other realtors just like open up the door. Like Every realtor has their own approach and it works for different people. And so my kids, they walk into home, they see different things. And I love that.
0: Well, and I think it helps. I mean, we didn't in our situation when we were together, we weren't selling, we just were buying. Um, mm-hmm. but oh my gosh, before we moved to Pennsylvania, we did have to sell a home, um, mm-hmm. you know, with all of my million kids and it was so <laughs> stressful. It's yes. so stressful having to worry about showings and like your realtor calling and someone wants to know if they can come in two hours. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. i But having a realtor, I think that, you know, is also a mom and can understand that I think, or at least I would imagine would be like so helpful.
1: Totally. And that's actually, as I am kind of going out on my own, it's been amazing. I feel like my mind has just opened up and I have all these downloads for my business and all these things I wanted to do that I couldn't do because I was partnered with somebody else. And when you partner with somebody, it's great because there's a lot of things you can do that you might not have been able to do. And two is better than one. But at the same time, you can't, you don't have as much freedom to kind of do things the way you want to. And um, for me, I want so badly for my business to be all about the heart. Um I wanna treat each client like family with heart and when i thought about heart honest encouraging artistic relevant and thoughtful and those are the things i want to put into every transaction every family i help out because oftentimes i feel like families can just be another number on a spreadsheet for a realtor and to me these are people's lives these are their greatest assets And I want to put a lot of care and time into understanding what they need and not pushing them into something that's wrong for them and to like be patient with them and work through things with them um, and not look at it as income, but look at it as an opportunity to help a family get somewhere they need to be.
0: Well, and now I kind of want to pick your brain, like your realtor brain. (laughs) (laughs) But like, for example, like what I, what would your tips be for someone who is, you know, you have kids and you have to sell a house and try to find another one. Like, so, okay. What would your first, what are your tips on getting your house show ready when you've got kids making messes there? Like every single day.
1: Yeah. So first thing, call me. No, (laughs) um, Honestly, I think simplifying your home, packing up everything you possibly can um, so that there's less things for the kids to just get out. Um, Kids are very creative. And I think a lot of times they have too much stuff anyways to really use that creativity. So the more you can pack up and put in their garage, in the basement, in the attic, somewhere where people aren't really going to see the boxes, the easier it's going to be to maintain your home throughout the showing process. Um, that's definitely step one. The more you can do that, getting a realtor in there quickly. So many people want to try to sell homes on their own. And I don't think they understand the complexities of home sales and, um, Oftentimes, a realtor, a good realtor, is going to be able to get you so much more for your home and really reduce the stress and efforts that you have to put into it. Time is money, um, and you can always make another dollar, like I said before, but you cannot make another day. So handing that off to somebody that knows how to do it and can do it seamlessly for you instead of trying to figure out on your own is worth every penny. And oftentimes they will get you more for your home because you use them. Also, I completely believe in staging homes. I have a stager I've worked things out with. Um, she has a great deal with me. And so I've partnered with her many times. And it's sad because I have this one client um or this one friend, and they really want want to sell a property, but they had to use another realtor. And this realtor, I even gave, I gave my friend all the information for my stager. I said, hey, tell them I'm sending you, they'll give you my discount and all of these things. And the other realtor refused to use the staging. Well, that home never sold and they still have that property and it's it's so hard because i i saw the property it's adorable i feel like a few pops of color to draw your eye to make the space bigger creative staging and that's why artistic is part of my heart um phrase If you can envision something and make it beautiful, people buy that, especially in our social media driven world. People like something that looks familiar. It makes it feel like home. It makes it feel comfortable. So when they walk in and it feels familiar, all of a sudden it starts to feel like home. And that's what you're selling. You're selling a home. You're not selling your house. You're selling a home to the buyer. To the buyer, that's where they're going to raise their family. So if you can do something that makes it feel like a home and less like a house. And it's, it's so much easier to kind of get that ball rolling.
0: What are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when they're trying to sell?
1: Um, For sale by owner. <laughs> I that
0: little snort.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel bad because I understand why they're doing it. I truly really do. And I'm not somebody that ever even calls them because I just feel like it's not worth my time and energy to try to convince them that what they're doing is wrong. Um, But it's it's really, really hard to sell your own property. Honestly, when I list my home, I'm not going to sell my own home. Even though I would get a commission and it would financially benefit, I will enlist another realtor to sell my home as long as they do a really good job because I don't trust people and I'm control freak. But um, I will I will kind of oversee what they do. But you have to like sep- – it's such an emotional process and you have to have somebody on the outside to give you clarity. Um, it's important to have like that – When you're in something and emotionally invested in something, it's so hard to see it logically and to like separate yourself from it and to make it a rational, smart business decision for your life.
0: So, do you think that that is something a lot of people do? Is they get like too emotional when it comes to, and you know, I don't even when I say emotional, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like, yeah, yeah, you're selling your house. (laughs) Yeah, when you're you're selling your house, it's like of course it's emotional. Like I remember. Our first house was in North Carolina because my husband was in the Marine Corps and we had to leave and sell because you know, he was no longer in the Marine Corps. We weren't going to be living in North Carolina anymore. It wasn't a bad thing that we were selling, but it was still emotional because it's like, this is where my son took his first steps. You know, this is where we have all of these memories. Like, It makes yeah. sense for it to be emotional, but that can also have a not so good effect on the business part of it, right?
1: Yeah, and that's why having somebody to kind of walk you through the process makes it easier. Emotions aren't a bad thing. Um, emotions mean we're human and we're actually healthy. Because if we didn't have emotions, then we would be sociopaths or psychopaths. And nobody wants that. So having emotions is definitely a positive thing. Um And it's okay. It's okay to feel sad for leaving something behind. There's memories that you have in your home. There's things that you dreamt for your home that may or may not have come to fruition. And so that's one of the things I love too about the business I'm in. I'm a pretty empathetic person and I just, I love people. I love meeting people and getting to know people and hearing their stories. And with my business, I didn't realize I was going to like be a counselor or a therapist, but I feel like at times I'm walking through some tough stuff with clients or um, walking through some just emotional moments in their life. And it's nice to just be there. I've had I had one client that really, really struggled with their whole situation and would call me all the time. And I would just remind her of what she told me was important. I mean and I would ask her good questions and I would just help her kind of through all of the emotions she was feeling. And it was good because she needed to move on like she needed to move on but it was really really hard for her to move on and so i was just appreciative that she felt comfortable enough that she could reach out to me a couple times a day cuz i didn't want her doing that alone um i didn't want her in her home crying and feeling alone in this i i was helping her through this transition and so the the fact that she trusted me enough and was comfortable enough to reach out to me in those vulnerable moments um, is actually very humbling and makes me know that I'm doing something right. I'm connecting with my people. They trust me enough to tell me what's bothering them, and then I can help them better, too.
0: Okay, so let's say you have, you know, someone's trying to sell their house and they have gotten, you know, their contract with you and they've gotten rid of the extra stuff. What is like next on their, um, I guess, to-do list?
1: So after they've boxed up as much of the personal stuff as they can, And I highly recommend getting rid of pictures. Those are extremely distracting to buyers when they walk through homes because they start going, do I know these people? And then it doesn't feel like it could be their home. It feels like somebody else's home that they're in. So packing up personal things, packing up as much of the clutter as you can, Um, then you're going to... I'll have kind of a walkthrough with you and say, okay, now that we can see the house, maybe touch up this paint. especially in the new market we're going into, it's not as buyer heavy. It's still a great market to sell in. If you're going to sell anytime in the next like two years, do it now. Uh, Because things I think will continue to slow down. There's still such a shortage of housing, um, so it's a great time to sell. And it's also a phenomenal time to buy because interest rates have started to tick down. Um, and there's not as many buyers. so you're not going to be competing at the level we saw over the past two years. And hopefully you can squeak into a house without having to do the crazy things buyers were doing, like waiving inspections or paying over appraisal price or there were so many different strategies we had to win back when you were competing against 20 different people. Um, So going backwards, um, then we would walk through, now that we can see the home a little bit better, maybe touch up some paint. I'll give you a few recommendations of things that would increase the value of the home without costing you a lot of money. Um, Your home's not a flip project unless you want it to be. And then I can help you do that as well. I have great people. And um, some of my sellers end up being flippers of their homes to, you know, make more money off of it. But some homes, it's just not worth it to put a new kitchen or bathroom in. They just want to sell it and move on. Um, So if you're just looking to sell and not flip your home, then we're going to touch up some paint couple things. Next, I'll have my stager come in and my stager. And it's a quick process. We can get a house on the market within a week. Um, I have all the systems and the people in place. As long as the family that's selling the home can box up their stuff quickly, we can move as quick as they want. Um, My stager will come in one day. They'll stage the home. Depending on the house, we kind of determine the amount of staging that's required. Every home needs a little bit of staging. We had a um, trailer that we sold. It was staged. Um, And because of that, it just gets more attention. I feel like no matter the price of the home, whether it be a $100,000 house or a $2 million house, it is still that person's largest asset it is still to be treated with dignity, no matter the price point. And so I treat my $100,000 houses the same way I treat my $2 million houses. They get staged, they get the best photographer, um, and he'll come in, he does the photography, and then I write up a nice little blurb. And usually with my write-ups, I tend to tell a story for the buyers because stories are more engaging. You want to invite them into the home and say, this is where you will do this. This is where you can do this. And it's like a walkthrough of letting them see how they would live in the space instead of just saying, hey, this has three bedrooms and two bathrooms. (laughs) So you want to show them kind of the highlights of this. This has a special niche that um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a. Call send a voicemail. Okay. Um, so yeah, you kind of tell a story and then my marketing, um, kicks in once we go to coming soon. I typically like to do my homes coming soon. And for people that don't know, it just means that it gets it out there on all of the different like Zillow, the MLS, realtor.com, all the different places a day or two before it's open for showings. And that's to build anticipation and excitement um, for the buyers out there looking for a home like yours. And so we always like to build, have a little bit of a buildup before showing start because my goal for my clients is that we get everything in place. People are excited and starting to create appointments That on day one on the market, my family can leave their house in the morning. We can have a whole ton of showings that day and the next day. And they can even go away for the weekend if they can. Um, And then we just get all the showings in right away. I contact all the realtors I know. I say, this is what's coming up. I do a lot before going live, just building the anticipation, letting everybody know that a property is coming on because my goal is within those first couple of days to have as many showings as possible to lessen the disrupt for the family I'm assisting because the worst thing is to put your house on the market one day and say, okay, well, whenever we get showings, you just have to leave your house. I'd rather build up to the day we go live and the day we go live, we already have a bunch of appointments and, you know, like, okay, I'm just not going to be in my house for these couple of days, but we're going to have 20 showings and
0: hopefully a buyer by the end of those. And, So what are the things that, I mean, I know like from when on my end, you know, when I go to see a house, like the things that are, you know, I'm like, what are you thinking? Or that are really annoying, (laughs) but it's like when you, you know, that you're, I mean, you can't say anything other than maybe like being polite, I guess, but you know, that you're just like, no, don't do this because, you know, for a lot of us, we don't, we don't know like what is going to, I, I assume these people don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it could be helpful to know like, hey, don't do these things.
1: Yeah, it it happens a lot. And I I feel like that's sometimes why it's helpful to have a professional that understands listings and not just one of those agents that lists one or two homes a year um periodically for family and friends. I think whenever it's your largest asset, you want somebody that's going to be able to give you the the third party perspective you need to know the things that distract a buyer. Um and the couple of things that, yeah, they may be really cool and you're, it's your aesthetic and it's you and I love it. You can be you all the time, except for when you're selling your house. <laughs> when you're selling your house and you're trying to get the most for it, you need to make it marketable. And so make your house your home whenever you're living in it, but whenever you're selling it, it's now becoming an asset. It's something that needs marketed and it's something that needs to have mass appeal so that you can get the most for the asset you have.
0: Now, what about when you go to buy and you're dealing with people that, you know, have a bunch of kids, you know, what are the things that someone who has a family needs to know? especially because it seems like from what you've been saying in this conversation that the craziness of last year has kind of died down a little bit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's all... People just think they're looking through like these crystal balls and predicting the future. We really don't know what's going to happen in the market. I feel like things are starting to pick up again, um, which is almost... <laughs> Almost scary because it's not an ideal market for anyone other, well, for sellers. I mean, it, it just, there's less balance. And so I'm hoping that we're getting into something that's a little less crazy. But um, I would say if you have children, some of the most important things to consider is looking at what's most important to your family. And how your families run. Um, some people really need the space outside. Some people, they're big, you know, they have family meals all the time. So the kitchen and the dining room being connected. Um, some people have children that just do not get along. And they need their own bedrooms and bathrooms. So just thinking about some of the pain points with your current home as you start the search. Um If you're able to find somebody to watch your children when you're going on showings, that's huge because you can really have an open dialogue um, and be able to see if this house is going to work or not for your family without having the children there. But honestly, when you're at showings and you do have children, just having a realtor that's a mom is sometimes beneficial. Cause I can chat with the kids while my uh, clients are looking around, and we'll walk around together. But I, I kind of know how to communicate with a child, so I try to try to talk to the kids and help them like pick out which room would be theirs. And it gives the parents an opportunity to engage with each other instead of having the kid kind of pulling on their pants, going "Mom, Mom, Dad, Dad." Uh, so yeah. <laughs>
0: And are there like anything, this is, I guess, more abstract than the the buying and selling part of it. But I mean, as you, as a realtor, I bet you get to see this kind of up close. Like, what are the trends you're seeing right now with homes? Like, are there specific design trends or people going away from certain things? Or are you saying like, um, oh, well, people aren't wanting open floor plans as much. Now they're wanting this. You know, like, what are the trends that you're seeing right now?
1: I would definitely say since COVID, having an office space is one of the top requests now. I feel like people really need a space to be able to work from home and um, they want something that is closed off. So before Open Concept was huge and Open Concept still has a pretty large appeal because it does make a space feel large. But it's almost people want open concept with pockets, if that makes sense. So they want like this big open space, but then they also want like an office space around the corner or just other places to get away um, within that. And I would say the biggest change, change I see right now is people are starting to get away from the white, white kitchens. And I'm seeing some more pops of color coming back in, which I actually love. I love um, a good island that's got like a, a bold color on the island. And then you've got the white cabinets on top and maybe a colored cabinet on the bottom or something like that. Um, we're seeing a little bit less of the farmhouse look, but that I think will always have its appeal Joanna Gaines really, really really um captured america with her farmhouse look but we are starting to see some a little less of that um a little bit more modern a little bit more color but whites and grays and grays and all that i don't think will ever really go away um more black hardware i'm starting to see gold again too which when it's used well is stunning. Um, I recently was in a very nice house and they had some sort of mosaic like tile backsplash with gold fixtures and it was gorgeous. And I'm not one that typical, I'm, I'm kind of boring. I like white, white has been my favorite color since I was a child. And it's really funny because eventually I had to stop telling people white was my favorite color because they always argued that it wasn't a color. Uh, So I finally said, okay, my favorite color is blue, but it's always been white. And uh, (laughs) so I still gravitate towards the neutrals, but I love seeing color in homes. It's been really fun um, to see that shift taking place.
0: I was trying to get off mute and it's like not going. <laughs> um, uh, are there any, I know you probably can't be too specific. Are there any like crazy things that you've seen in houses? Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, hmm.
0: Yeah. Like what kind of crazy stuff? Cause I mean, you know, you always see yeah. those things on like, you know, Zillow gone wild or whatever, but you know as a realtor, you must get to see it like in person.
1: It's so fun. I love my career. Honestly, I, so I have ADHD. Um, Anyone that knows me well knows that. And so one of the things with ADHD people is they like when things are new, exciting and like fast. And so it's just with my career, it's always new and it's always exciting. So it keeps me really engaged. I can't be at a regular desk job doing the same thing every single day. I'm too creative for that. Um, I need opportunities to like come up with wacky solutions or whatever it might be. And so I just love whenever I'm able to flow in my creativity, which is one of the things I love about you know, being able to go off on my own and make my business more me. Um, I've seen that kind of spark coming alive again. But with real estate, every day is you just never know what you're gonna get ever. And it's flying by the seat of your pants. Even with this podcast, I was like, I don't know what we're gonna talk about, but I'm just gonna show up and it'll work out. Some of the funkiest things I've seen, um, well, there was a dead bat in a house like right like on the floor um I have seen there was oh goodness there was this one house that I took my people to it was out in the woods and um it was a really neat property it was mid-century modern kind of rusticy. it was so cool and uh very very fun but when we went in there was a bird trapped inside. So the, my, I call her my friend. She was a, she was a client, but she became a friend through the process. She and I were trying to like shoo this bird out of the house. And it just, it was going all over the place. Um, And then we walk into like these rooms with the strangest art on the wall. I don't even know how really to describe it, except that There was a whole bunch of paint on this one wall in like circular, like 70s, like psychedelic. I don't even know. Like somebody was on drugs type of abstract art. And at the very center of all these like different colored circle things was a hole in the wall. And then coming out of the hole in the wall were plastic bags. Colored plastic
0: bags. Sorry, like like grocery bags? Kind of. They didn't have, like, (laughs) logos on them or
1: anything, but kind of like grocery bags, but colored ones um, without logos coming out of, like, the wall with a hole in it with a weird mural-y thing. It was so weird. I have a picture of that, I think, somewhere. So yeah, I, I saw that one time. The scariest um showing I ever had. So with vacant properties. And this is one of the things that is the unfortunate side of my business. People always watch those realtor shows and they think it's all glamorous. Oh, I have another story now that I think about that. Uh, people think it's a very glamorous job. Not always. Um I I once had this showing where it was a hoarder house and I took, it was, oh, it was so hard to do. And this is, this is the part that breaks my heart when I'm helping young first-time homebuyers or young families that don't have a lot of money. It limits what they can buy. And so we get there and it's this mom and dad, they've got their two-year-old, I think she was at the time, and she's pregnant. And we go into this hoarder house, there's cats, everywhere cats just outside inside everywhere and we're walking through and like she has to use the bathroom and so like i i try to find like a clean space for her to like like make the bathroom a little bit cleaner so she can use it and i'm like just trying to like get us out of here but they really need a home like they needed a home and so they're talking about, you know, well, maybe if we did this and maybe and he was handy. And I'm like, mm, this looks way worse than you think, because um, I could feel like the subfloor felt squishy. And I was like, I think there's more that we can't see going on here with this home. And then we went around and we went down to like the downstairs area. Next thing I know, there's like fleas popping up on my legs. and. I I told my buyers I was like you guys need to get your daughter out of here. I think there are fleas. We can talk about the property if you want, but I just don't want um you know anything happening to your daughter, or the pregnant wife at that point. And so we're walking you- away.
0: I yeah. mean like is that kind of house even like I mean obviously there's people who are able to I don't want to say it's not sellable, but like how?
1: Yeah, so that's a- A wonderful investment property for somebody that's looking to flip, but at the price this person was trying to sell it for, it's not a smart um, home to buy. And eventually I think homes like that, if the seller can't come down in price, those are the ones that kind of just sit there forever um, until somebody passes away or the bank owns it. And then eventually, hopefully a flipper. It, it it makes me sad because I love homes so much and I love houses. And I'm one of those people that sees potential in a lot of homes. And I eventually I want my husband and I to start flipping homes ourselves. Um, but I think that's gonna come when the children are older and we have a little bit more time again. Because I always just I love architecture. I love the old homes made new because there's there's a lot of good materials that were used and older homes were just built better. So I feel like if you can get an old, well-built home and fix it up, they can be beautiful. Um, so
0: that's, yeah, yeah, anytime I, totally, I see something
1: like that, I just Older homes are totally
0: my thing too.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. I love them and they're so well-built. I have a home from the seventies and it is rock solid. And my husband's slowly going through fixing up one room at a time and it's becoming ours. And I kind of love that process.
0: Yeah. It's like, um, you know, as you know, the home that we just bought is not older, but our other house, which we still own um, was mm-hmm. built in 1860, which I think you visited, <laughs> right? I
1: did. I love that house. If you ever want to sell it, look me up because it's so cute.
0: <laughs> it was the, I mean, just the coolest thing. Being able to kind of experience all the little old gems from the house yes. history, like going down in the basement when we first saw it, like first ever saw it, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the original fireplace.
1: I love you know, that. Or
0: like going and um it's, I don't know who redecorated this house over however many years. It's like almost 200 years old, but you know, it, it doesn't have the original wood flooring like right now, like it's covered up with, I think laminate or something. I don't know, whatever, Mm -hmm. whoever owned it before us did that, but you go down in the basement and you can see the original wood flooring is still there and it's in good shape. Like it's amazing. amazing seeing stuff like that, you know, like it makes also, me wonder to time. come in there
1: and pull up that laminate <laughs> and really oh. like give life back to that old home.
0: Oh, these, those were among our goals. And I mean, maybe one day when our kids aren't, you know, just I get it, listen <laughs> yep. to, you know, my life or people listening, I, you know, this other house was only 1400 square feet. And so for a family of eight, that just wasn't going to work, but <laughs> you know, we still are, uh, we still own it. So when the kids move out, like it would be the perfect size for just me and Matt. Yeah, totally. And, um, oh my gosh, I would love to like restore that house back to its original historic glory. And sometimes I wonder like what it is about the materials that were used, um, in older houses. I don't know when the quality went like downhill, but I mean, especially here in Pennsylvania, like I've noticed there's houses that are like 500 years old and they're <laughs> we still. Have some like, of the the, olding, we have some of the oldest
1: housing in all of America. Um, I think we're in the top five. Like,
0: yeah, they are.
1: They're amazing.
0: It blows yeah. my mind. Like, how do you build something? Like we had hardwood floors in our house in Florida and like the toilet overflowed and they were destroyed. You know, and I'm going. How is it that the wood floor and this house built in like 1992 got destroyed because of this little teeny flood, but these houses from 500 years ago are still just fine?
1: Yeah. Like what well, is? <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the wood that was available back then, um, and it's very interesting. I I helped sell a 200 year old property. I guess it was like two years ago now. And it was amazing the history that was preserved with that home and all the newspaper articles. And it's actually on the um, the like house of historic homes or something. And so I helped um, somebody buy that house. And as I was learning about it, it was very interesting because they would chop down whole trees around that area and like stack these trees logs like the entire tree pretty much to make the house and um the wood was stronger because it was older and it had been there for a really long time whereas now we have these kind of tree farms and they have quick growing trees that aren't as strong and don't have as deep of roots and haven't been seasoned well and so they plant these trees they grow real fast, they cut them down, they make them into boards, and then the boards just aren't as strong. Um, whereas back in the day, they were cutting down trees that you know were probably 100, 200 years old and had been weathered and were very strong, and um, so it took a lot of effort to cut those trees down and then to stack those trees and to make planks out of those trees, like It's really, honestly, the quality of the materials. And um, that's why you have to be very careful which builder you use too, because you can build a much cheaper home with some of these builders, but a lot of their savings is in the materials and the type of wood they're using. There's like, I I forget what they're called now, um, but there's different types of wood qualities. And so some of these really big builders out there are using the cheaper quality wood and throwing up these houses. And I just, I don't think they're going to last. I think those houses are good for maybe, you know, 50 years or so. I don't know. I don't know yet. We'll find out. Um, But then there's other builders that really do understand that quality wood lasts. And they still use those materials, but they're more expensive because the material is expensive. So I think it's just important as you're thinking about building to kind of know where corners are cut with any builder. Um, and so I have a few builders that I really like and then a few that they're good enough for clients, but I really try to match clients with the best they can get in their price range whenever they're looking to build
0: and for people who are buying like what are the things that they need to know because i feel like i can just say from my experience you know every time i bought a house i feel like i'm learning something more yeah you know (laughs) like the first time you bought a house you just kind of (laughs) Bought one at random and it was like, you know, just, oh, what do we like? We didn't really think about resale or what are the schools like in the area? We had no clue. So the next house, it's like, okay, well, let's think about, we need to make sure we remember to think about schools. And then it turns out that there's more things we didn't think about. I feel like no matter how many times you've done this, there's still like stuff that you're not thinking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, that's very interesting. And to be completely honest, I feel like even after years of helping people buy and sell homes, and this is like a daily thing for me. I'm always learning, um, which is one of the things I love as well. I'm constantly trying to to better hone in my skills. And you do, you kind of pick up things along the way. There's always that first time something's ever happened to you in a transaction moment. And um, we joke because we'll get in a room of, you know, 50 realtors sharing stories of things that happened. And there will be somebody that's like, yeah, I've been in the business for 40 years and never had this happen before. And it, it just, that's the thing about real estate that keeps it interesting. As a buyer, I think the most important piece is the location, Um, making sure you know where you want to be, understanding, like you said, the schools, the crime rate, um, the diversity, understanding the the community that you're going to be in and the neighborhood you're in and looking at the houses closest to your house to see if... Do they have swings in the backyard? Which was something I loved about you guys because I remember going to some places and you're like, there's not enough swing sets. I'm like, you're right. And I love that you knew that was important to your family, Um, especially having all those children. You wanted to be in a neighborhood with kids. And I loved that whenever we found your house,
0: it had all those things. And um Oh, yeah. We were there like we drove down the street and I'm like oh look there's like five different driveways with chalk all over them.
1: <laughs> exactly and there were kids outside the day we were there and we were yeah. able to talk to one of the neighbors and it's things like that where you're like okay this is starting to feel like it could be the one and I I always tell my buyers to be open minded Um, And I think that's really important because you just need to see a lot of homes. The more homes you see, the more comfortable you are when you find the right one, because you can kind of compare and contrast. And the worst thing that can happen to a buyer is they walk in the first home and they say, this one's it. And then they question it for years. (laughs) So getting in, seeing lots of different homes, lots of neighborhoods, lots of locations, Um, really helps whenever you find the right one to know like, okay, this is the one and um, you're not second guessing. So anytime a buyer, we see our first home and they're like, this is the one I'm like, let's look at other houses first so that you don't question yourself for years.
0: Okay. So let's say that you've looked at like all these houses and you find the one that you want. So like what what are the like do's and don'ts as far as putting in offers and getting ready to buy?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, running everything through your realtor, uh, never, ever, ever reach out to the listing agent and the homeowner because it's a dance that your realtor is going to take with, um, the other side of the transaction. Um, so if you're the buyer You really want to have a realtor that knows how to negotiate and knows how to dance and knows how to play nice with the other side, um, to get you more of what you want and to, um, get you the best deal you can get on the home. I like to think of transactions as like a win-win for both sides. Everybody's going to give and take a little bit and, um, The nicer we play ball, the nicer they play ball, and eventually we all come together and it works. But, uh, yeah, I think reaching out to the other side or anything like that can really jeopardize your ability to negotiate. Um, So just sharing with your realtor all of the pertinent information that they need and being very open and honest. So many times you have families that are very, how do I say this? Very hesitant to share their financial um, struggles or, you know, just different things that are playing out. And I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm just here trying to help you get a home if you want it. And so the more information I have going into negotiations, the more I understand the full picture of your life and your finances, the better equipped I am to then do everything I can to make it work for you. Um, and I'm really good at playing the... I don't know if that's going to work for my people whenever I know it's going to work for my people and coming out slightly ahead. So it's not that knowing it will work is a disadvantage for my buyers. Knowing it will work gives me more confidence to push a little bit harder because I know, okay, we got this, but I'm going to like push a little bit and make them a little scared so that they'll give us more. And so it just having the confidence and knowing the situation makes negotiation processes so much easier on our end. So I think just trusting your realtor to like take over. And um, I have a winning strategy sheet I walk through with my clients and I say, hey, these are the, all the different things we can do to craft a um a strong offer. And I tell them it's an a la carte menu. You pick and choose what you're comfortable with. I'm good with whatever. These are your decisions. I will help you craft it, but you need to be comfortable with the offer and understand the offer you're writing. And then once we have that and I understand where you're willing to go, then it's just a dance. And I, I dance it out with the other side. Usually he who speaks first loses. So I like to kind of just give them some time to like respond. And once we start getting into conversation, I let them talk a little bit more to see what I can get from them. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And are there things that like you have learned, um, tend to kind of turn off sellers when it comes to like putting in your offers or, um, like little tips to maybe make an offer more attractive, like
1: what mm-hmm. can help or hurt you? Um, I think a lot of it's in the presentation. Um, something I really take pride in is my communication with the listing agent from the get-go, um, making sure that they understand, like I call them, I understand what the seller's needs are so that I, I can craft our offer to kind of meet their biggest needs. You don't know what the seller's needs are unless you ask. And so sometimes the seller just needs more time in the home or less time in the home or they want to lease back. They want to sell the house and then stay in it for a month or whatever. Um, Finding out some of their motivators so that you can tailor the offer to them. Makes it a lot easier on the front end. And then how you package your offer. I always share a couple things about my buyer that aren't too personal, but might resonate with the seller um, in the email to the listing agent. And I really try to, gosh, when you're a buyer in this market, <laughs> you don't have a ton of poll right now because there's just not enough housing for everybody. There isn't. And so I'm always playing suck up when I have a buyer and trying to get the listing agent to like me and want to work with me and to understand that this is going to be an easy transaction for you and you're going to get paid and it's going to be great. <laughs> so <laughs> I do a lot of buttering up of the listing agent. And then my presentation of my offer, I always um, outline my offer in my email so that it's easy for them to understand. Uh, I call them whenever I submit the offer so that they don't miss it in their email. Um, and then for the for the buyer, honestly, there's not much a buyer has to do to make their offer stand out if they have a good agent. Sometimes people write, like to write letters and that's great. However, with fair housing, it's not always a safe practice. Um, I kind of let my buyers know if they want to, I'll, I will give it to the listing agent, but then the listing agent has to decide whether or not they wanna share that um, with the seller because you don't want somebody buying a house because of your skin color or because of, you know, your religion or whatever it might be. And so letters were a really big thing back in the day, but then with just fair housing lawsuits and everything, they they do open you up to risk. So I don't often, once in a while, I'll get somebody that just loves them and we will do it. And it has helped some people. Um, but I leave that kind of up. I, I'm, I partner with my buyers and sellers. Um, we're in this together. And so I think the more we just communicate, the easier it is. I hope that answered your question.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just, I can say from, from our experience, you know, we, we did the thing with the letter for one house and we Mm -hmm. bought, (laughs) let me think one two, three, five houses now throughout our lifetime. We've done it once. And there was only one time where it was like actually recommended by our realtor um, at the time because the sellers, I guess the feedback she was getting from their realtor was that they were strongly considering the offer, but I guess they just needed like an extra little push. And the other ones, it just never was necessary. Yeah, And, and I guess part of the other aspect of it was that our realtor from talking to their realtor knew like, this is another family and Mm -hmm. might be able to identify more. And it turned out like when we came to the closing, they were like, we were so happy that, you know, we knew that this was going to another family. And like we had said, you know, I think one of the things we'd asked for was for their baby gate because they had this big, you know, it, it was like, uh, the size of like two French doors. Right. So you don't typically have baby Uh-oh. gates. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know,
1: and it's that. That this it. Perfectly. I'm sure.
0: Right. It, it Perfectly. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, please keep this. Can we, can you leave this so that we can continue to use? Cause they had it as a playroom. And so oh, I'm like, we I love know. the playroom. If you could leave the gate so we could continue using it as a playroom, we would love that. And they had said, you know, we were so happy to know that, this room where our daughter got to play, you know, someone else's kids would get to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so I can see how in those circumstances it would work, but I yeah, also and- know that from similar experience, if you don't have a realtor, because we have had some not so great realtors over the years, um, and that can really make a big difference. You can put in the exact same offer with a bad realtor, and it does not go well. Ask me yeah. how I know.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, and being on the listing side, I have seen a lot of offers come in and it's wild to me. Um, just because I don't know. I started off primarily with buyers. Um, and so seeing the, I, I got really good at like almost manipulating <laughs> my buyers into homes and negotiating our ways in. But whenever I um, had my first listing and I saw all these offers coming in, I just, I think back to that and I'm like, wow, these people are all over this, all over the place. Some people didn't fill out the forms correctly. Um, Some people never even called me. Uh, Some people were, Terrible about building rapport and we're just like mean and like you gotta take our offer. I'm like, geez. I I was surprised. Um yeah. But then you do meet those couple really good agents on the other side, and there's something about seeing a good agent on the other side of the transaction that makes you want so badly to work with them. And that's why having a good agent is key because agents get to know each other. They get to know how each person works. And whenever you see an offer come from an agent you've worked with that you trust, that you know does a good job, you just know that it's going to go smoother for everybody. And who doesn't want that for their buyers and sellers? Like the last thing I want to do is put my buyer or seller through some terrible transaction or, you know, where there's all these different problems or, you know, the agent on the other side forgets to bring the check to a settlement Uh, because that's never happened whenever your buyer is buying. And so to me, limiting those unknowns whenever we have the power as a listing agent and being like, okay, so these are all our offers. I'll tell my people, I'll be like, I've worked with this agent. I know they'll they do a good job. Um, that's usually not the determining factor, but it is something that helps. So just having a good agent that people know and trust is worth something in a transaction. Um, yeah.
0: And when you are looking to find an agent, you know, obviously other than, I mean, they should just call you, but
1: <laughs> let's say <laughs> I mean, you're busy. I'm only taking 14 people, so they better call <laughs> quickly before my calendar fills up.
0: <laughs> but, you know, generally speaking, you know, you decide you want to sell your house or are looking to buy a house, whatever the situation is. How do you know you're getting a good agent?
1: Oh, man, that's hard. Some people are really good at that initial contact. And then through time, you kind of learn that they just put on a good show and they don't actually deliver. I think it's important to look at reviews, um, which is why I cherish my reviews so much. Actually, I have to go in and, and thank my two most recent reviews. I've been so busy with the holidays. I feel bad. But um my reviews are are kind of the lifeblood of my business. And so I I appreciate whenever I get a five-star review because that tells a story I can't tell. I don't like selling myself to people and I think it looks car salesman-y and I just don't do it. I don't try to go after people for business. I like having relationships with people. And if I can help them one day, I'm happy to help them. If they use somebody else, I do not get offended. I used to. I used to be like, why would my friend use another realtor? You know what? It's really okay. As long as that other realtor takes good care of them. And I've had friends that it didn't go well. And I still give them advice. I still help them through their transactions, even when I'm not making a penny off of them because they're friends of mine. And this is something I know really well and something I love. And I love helping people. So um, what was the question?
0: (laughs) How do you know you're getting a good realtor? Finding a
1: good realtor. Yeah, I think that's the key. Looking at their reviews, hearing what other people have said about their experiences with the realtor and, um, not getting sold a story, but like actually getting to know who they are as a person and connecting with them as a person and being like, okay, you're somebody I can trust. If they feel like someone you can trust, that's everything. I actually just wrote a post on Facebook today about trust and, um, I I equated trust to being on peaceful waters. And whenever you have trust with somebody, it makes whatever sea you're traveling on um, smooth and easy. But whenever you're with somebody you can't exactly trust, then you get onto like the stormy waters and things don't go very well. And so I think just having A good communicator, um, somebody you know has your best intentions in mind and doesn't see you as a a paycheck. And that's hard to sift out sometimes. I don't know how you really sift that out, but I think just knowing people have heart behind what they're doing. Actually, that's now that I'm um, on my own, my motto that I came up with is home is where your heart is. Helping you find a home is where my heart is. And that's so important to me is just um, letting people know, like, I, I care about this moment in your life and want to help you. It's not about the money. Um, so finding somebody that really doesn't need the money, but wants to help other people is usually best.
0: Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Well, Mariah, thank you so much for your time today and for all. Yes. Thanks for
1: having me. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Sorry. (laughs) I was so (laughs) nervous. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say, but
0: thanks for having me. Well, I will make sure to include all of Mariah's information um, in our show notes. So if you are looking at buying or selling a home, make sure you contact Mariah. And until next time, Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thanks, Cassie. That's our episode for this week. New episodes will drop every Monday. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss out. Leave us a review and share to help other moms find us. Thanks for stopping by the Fireflies and Whoopie Pie podcast, the only podcast by South Central PA moms for South Central PA moms. Until next time.